Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. During the call, all participants will be in a listen-only mode. There will be a question and answer session following the presentation. At that time, those with questions should press star followed by the number one on their telephone. If at any time during the conference you need to reach an operator, please press star zero. At this time, I would like to turn the conference over to Stephanie Amimo. Please go ahead, Ms. Amimo. Thanks, April, and good morning, everyone and welcome to Fortis's fourth quarter and annual 2021 results conference call. I'm joined by David Hutchins, President and CEO, Jocelyn Perry, Executive VP and CFO, other members of the senior management team, as well as CEOs from certain subsidiaries. Before we begin today's call, I want to remind you that the discussion will include forward-looking information, which is subject to the cautionary statement contained in the supporting slideshow. Actual results can differ materially from the forecast projections included in the forward-looking information presented today. All non-GAAP financial measures referenced in our prepared remarks are reconciled to the related U.S. GAAP financial measures in our annual 2021 MD&A. Also, unless otherwise specified, all financial information referenced is in Canadian dollars. With that, I will turn the call over to David. Thank you and good morning, everyone. In 2021, we delivered steady growth while progressing our cleaner energy goals. During the year, we invested $3.6 billion of capital to support the continued delivery of reliable electricity and natural gas to our customers, despite the ongoing challenges of the COVID-19 pandemic. On the ESG front, we advanced many of our priorities, including becoming a supporter of the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, improving the diversity of our board, and enhancing our sustainability disclosures, all while continuing to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions. Financially, absent foreign exchange differences, we grew adjusted earnings per share by approximately 5%, supporting our 6% dividend growth and strong shareholder returns in 2021. 2021 was another year of extreme weather across North America, and a few of our service territories were impacted. British Columbia saw fires and record heat in the summer and a devastating flood in the fall, while ITC system experienced a derecho windstorm for the second year in a row. With our operating model, our utilities were able to respond to those events and restore service quickly and safely using their local system knowledge and the support of best practices and expertise shared from across the Fortis Group. A strong reliability and safety culture continues to be the foundation of our utility operations as evidenced by another year of outperformance relative to industry averages. I would like to thank all of our employees and our utilities whose dedication day in and day out allows us to provide exemplary service to our customers. Our long history of achieving strong shareholder returns continued in 2021 with a one-year total shareholder return of 21.8%. Looking back over a 20-year time frame. Fortis has delivered average annual total shareholder returns of approximately 13% or 975% in total. 
also shown on slide six, this far exceeds the returns generated by the benchmark indices. Since 2019, we have reduced scope one emissions by 20%. This demonstrates significant progress towards reaching our target to reduce these emissions 75% by 2035. At UNS, closure of the coal-fired Navajo generating station in late 2019, as well as the recent additions of the 250-megawatt Oso Grande wind project, the 100-megawatt Wilmot solar project, and the 99-megawatt Borderlands wind project have driven our carbon emissions reduction to date. With a full year of these renewable generation projects and the planned closure of San Juan generating stations scheduled for mid-year, we expect further uh, reductions in carbon emissions in 2022 and remain on track to achieve our 75% reduction target. In 2021, our utilities deployed $3.6 billion of capital focused on resiliency, modernization, and sustainable energy, including $600 million for cleaner energy projects. These investments supported rate-based growth of approximately 6% over 2020. Capital investments for the year were broadly in line with plan. However, a lower U.S. to Canadian dollar exchange rate and pandemic-related timing delays for both the Watanakiniap transmission project and planned spending at Caribbean utilities modestly tempered investments during the year. This was partially offset by higher capital spending at ITC, including restoration costs following the December derecho storm. While the pandemic has not had a material impact on our overall capital plan to date, we are continuing to monitor the supply chain in order to identify and mitigate issues promptly. For 2022, capital expenditures remain on track and are not expected to be significantly impacted. In the fourth quarter, we rolled out our $20 billion five-year capital plan through 2026, reflecting approximately $4 billion of annual investment in our utilities. The plan consists of virtually all regulated investments and a diverse mix of highly executable, low-risk projects supporting rate-based growth across our utilities. With investments spanning the entire energy delivery chain, $3.8 billion of the five-year capital plan is allocated to cleaner energy investments aimed at improving our already low-carbon footprint. The plan is expected to increase rate base by over $10 billion, from approximately 31 billion in 2021 to nearly 42 billion in 2026, supporting average annual rate base growth of approximately 6%. Above and beyond our base plan, we remain optimistic about incremental opportunities to enhance our growth strategy. Specifically, as it relates to our transmission business, we continue to see a supportive policy environment. At the state level, the Transmission Infrastructure Planning Act in Michigan was signed into law in December. With this legislation enacted, ITC now has a right of first refusal in Iowa, Michigan, and Minnesota, providing ITC the first right to build and own regional projects located within its service territory. At the federal level, the White House released a fact sheet last month outlining various administrative actions it will take in 2022 to implement its clean energy goals and climate agenda, including a new initiative from the Department of Energy, Building a Better Grid. This initiative is expected to support the nationwide development of new and upgraded transmission lines, enhance resiliency, 
and provide additional access to clean energy. In addition to these positive policy advancements, ITC's geographic footprint puts them in a strong position to take advantage of the MISO long-range transmission plan. MISO is identifying regional transmission required to support the evolving needs of the system as it transitions to cleaner energy. Visibility on the initial tranche of projects is expected in the second quarter following the approval of the proposed cost allocation methodology that was filed earlier this month with FERC by MISO and a majority of its transmission owners. On the Lake Erie Connector project, the fully permitted shovel-ready project continues to progress. Last month, the Ontario Minister of Energy issued a letter to the province's Independent Electric System Operator, or ISO, acknowledging the many benefits of the project. In the letter, the Ontario government requested the ISO continue discussions with ITC to advance contract negotiations on a transmission service agreement and requested a report back from ISO in late March. Should ITC reach a finalized agreement with the ISO, construction of the project would take approximately four years. Our current five-year plan does not include investments associated with these projects, as these or other opportunities that we have highlighted in the past come to fruition, they would either be additive to our existing plan or extend growth beyond 2026. In 2021, we increased our dividends paid per common share to $2.05, an approximately 6% increase compared to 2020, marking 48 years of dividend increases. Looking ahead, we remain committed to building on this record. Through the execution of our growth strategy and a targeted 6% average annual dividend growth through 2025. Now I will turn the call over to Jocelyn for an update on our fourth quarter and annual financial results. Thank you, David, and good morning, everyone. Turning to slide 13 and looking first at our fourth quarter results, while we continue to see rate-based growth across our utilities, we successfully concluded the central Hudson rate case and advanced the TEP rate settlement in the fourth quarter, there were a number of key drivers lowering EPS quarter over quarter. Reported earnings per common share was 69 cents, two cents lower than the fourth quarter of 2020. And adjusted earnings per common share was 63 cents, six cents lower than the fourth quarter of 2020. Unfavorable weather impacts in Arizona and Belize impacted EPS by $0.04 cents alone. In Arizona, retail sales were down 6% in the quarter, driven mainly by milder weather, and production in Belize was down 87% because of lower rainfall. Central Hudson also experienced a number of weather-related service interruptions that contributed to the company not meeting its performance targets and Fortis's share price increased approximately 9% in the quarter, which resulted in higher stock-based compensation expense, and together this decreased EPS by $0.03. Cents. UNS also experienced lower gains on its retirement investments during the quarter, and this was a $0.01 impact. And as expected, timing of tax deductions at Fortis Alberta lowered EPS by $0.02, cents, and a lower foreign exchange and a higher weighted average shares outstanding each decreased EPS by one cent. Looking at the annual results, reported earnings per common share was $2.61, one cent higher than 2020, 
and adjusted earnings per common share for the year was $2.59, two cents higher than 2020. This increase in EPS year over year was achieved despite a lower foreign exchange rate, which decreased EPS by 10 cents. Excluding foreign exchange impacts, adjusted EPS grew by 12 cents, or approximately 5% in 2021. The waterfall table on slide 15 break down the annual EPS drivers, as well as the earnings growth at our regulated utilities, excluding the impacts of foreign exchange. In 2021, our regulated utilities increased EPS by 18 cents over 2020. Our largest utility, ITC, increased EPS by 7 cents, reflecting 9% year-over-year earnings growth at the utility. Strong rate-based growth coupled with a favorable adjustment related to interest rate swaps was partially offset by higher non-recoverable stock-based compensation costs. UNS Energy increased EPS by two cents, growing its earnings by approximately 4%. I'll speak to UNS in more detail on the next slide. Central Hudson contributed a two cent EPS increase, growing its earnings by approximately 7%, reflecting rate-based growth and the conclusion of its rate case. Our Western Canadian utilities contributed a five cent EPS increase, driven mainly by rate-based growth. Higher earnings at Fortis, Alberta were also driven by favorable weather. In total, earnings in Western Canada grew 6% year over year. At our other electric segment, higher sales in the Caribbean due to the continued recovery of the tourism industry and rate-based growth contributed to a $0.02 increase in EPS, or 7% segmented earnings growth compared to 2020. At our energy infrastructure segment, EPS decreased three cents, mainly driven by lower hydroelectric production in Belize and realized losses on natural gas contracts at Aiken Creek. With the lower rainfall in Belize, production in 2021 was 147 gigawatt hours compared to 229 gigawatt hours in 2020. This reflects a 35% decrease year over year. And the realized losses at Aiken Creek, as we discussed in the third quarter, reflect contracts settled in consideration of market conditions and favorable forward curves. As expected with our dividend reinvestment program, EPS decreased three cents due to higher weighted average shares outstanding. And lastly, the average US dollar to Canadian dollar exchange rate was 1.25 for 2021 compared to 1.34 for 2020, which lowered EPS by 10 cents. As I mentioned on the previous slide, UNS grew, uh, earnings grew by 4% compared to 2020. UNS benefited from higher net margin in 2021, driven largely by new retail rates at TEP, the FERC settlement, and higher wholesale margins. This increased EPS by approximately 10 cents. UNS did, however, report higher planned maintenance costs at TEP's generating facilities, which lowered EPS by 3 cents. And lastly, weather impacts in 2021 lowered EPS by 5 cents. As you recall, Tucson experienced its hottest summer on record in 2020. Looking ahead to 2022, we expect a reasonably managed regulatory lag as we expect lower planned generation maintenance costs coupled with customer growth and formula-based transmission rates. Additionally, while no decision, decision has been made, we are in the process <clears throat> of evaluating the timing of the next rate case filing at TEP. 
As you can see on slide 17, we were active in the debt capital markets again in 2021 with over $1 billion in long-term debt raised at attractive rates, highlighted by ITC's inaugural green notes. Debt issued at Fortis Inc. mainly refinanced maturing debt, while our regulated utilities issued debt in support of their capital programs. With the backdrop of a rising interest rate environment, several of our utilities accelerated long-term debt issuances in 2021, locking in attractive rates. In addition, ITC entered into interest rate swaps to mitigate refinancing risks. We continue to monitor the capital markets and any impacts on our future financing requirements. With our recent debt issuance coupled with over $3 billion available on our credit facilities, we continue to maintain a strong liquidity position, supporting our $20 billion five-year capital plan. Our capital plan is expected to be primarily funded with cash from operations, debt issued at our regulated utilities and our equity dividend reinvestment plan, while maintaining a relatively steady capital structure through 2026. This funding plan, coupled with Fortis's low business risk profile, provides financial flexibility and positions us comfortably within our existing investment-grade credit ratings. Turning to recent regulatory updates, First, ITC continues to await a final rule from FERC in relation to the Supplemental Notice of Proposed Rulemaking on Transmission Incentives, which proposes to eliminate the 50 basis point RTO return on equity incentive adder. In November, ITC filed comments in response to the Advanced Notice of Proposed Rulemaking, or ANOPER, on regional transmission planning, cost allocation, and generator interconnection processes. In its response, ITC recommended FERC direct the RTOs to conduct regular holistic transmission planning and highlighted some of the impediments of Order 1000 competition. While FERC has indicated its plans to move the ANOPER through the regulatory process as fast as possible, it remains unclear whether aspects of the ANOPER will be broken out into multiple NOPERs. At TEP, you may recall FERC issued an order in 2019 accepting formula transmission rates as filed, subject to refund and settlement procedures. A settlement in principle was filed with FERC in December 2021. The settlement includes an allowed ROE of 9.79% and a single rolled-in rate design. The FERC rate design settlement is positive as over 20% of UNS Energy's five-year capital plan is allocated to transmission investments, which will receive timely recovery in rates. In November 2021, Central Hudson received an order from the New York Public Service Commission approving a three-year rate plan retroactive to July 2021. The commission approved the joint proposal, which includes an ROE of 9% and an equity layer of 50%, declining by 1% annually to 48% in the third rate year. In British Columbia, the generic cost of capital proceeding is expected to continue into 2022, and the effective date of any change in the cost of capital remains unknown. Fortis Alberta filed its 2023 cost of service application in November in conjunction with the return to a third performance-based rate-making term beginning in 2024. A decision from the AUC is expected in the third quarter. And lastly, in January 2022, the AUC initiated a generic cost of capital proceeding to, continue, to consider whether the current 
cost of capital parameters should be extended for 2023. A decision is expected as early as March. The AUC also confirmed it will begin a separate process for cost of capital for 2024 and beyond later this year. That concludes my remarks. I'll now turn the call back to David. Thank you, Jocelyn. At Fortis, we have the right people, values, and plan to advance our growth strategy and deliver a cleaner energy future. With our local operating model, geographic and regulatory diversity, and operational expertise, our stakeholders stand to benefit from the long-term value of Fortis that we will deliver in 2022 and beyond. I will now turn the call back over to Stephanie. Thank you, David. This concludes the presentation. At this time, we'd like to open the call to address questions from the investment community. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now conduct the question and answer period. If you would like to register a question, please press star followed by the number one on your telephone. If, if your question has been answered and you would like to withdraw your registration, please press the pound sign. If you are using the speakerphone, please lift your handset before entering your request and we kindly request you speak loudly and slowly to ensure all participants can hear your question. One moment, please, for the first question. And your first question is from Linda Ezergales with TD Securities. Thank you. Um, I'm wondering if you could help us understand um, a normalized weather year on, an, on a consolidated basis, what that might look like in terms of EPS. It was really helpful to get the year-over-year five-cent uh, impact, uh, recognizing that 2020 had record hot weather. But I'm wondering what the sensitivity would be to normal weather, if you could provide it in 2021. Yeah, that's uh, good morning, Linda, and glad you could make the call. Um, that the, the weather sensitivity is is quite a bit of a combination of uh, art and science, and you know it is it is very difficult to get kind of some really good thumb rules from a year over year basis, uh, particularly coming out of the pandemic because we saw very different um, uh, customer behavior back in 2020 than we did in 2021. Uh, with everyone working from home, we saw very different. Um, use per customer profile. So uh, that c compounded by the fact that um, we, we tend to get a little bit warmer every year these days, um, other than 2021 where we saw it kind of slip back. Uh, it, it is pretty tough to get that sensitivity. Um, so it, I, it, I know that is a, is a non-responsive answer, um, but we're trying to work on how we can see that um, really from a – it mostly this is impacted – by the weather in Arizona, because most of the other utilities that we have very, have very limited um, weather flow through um, to the bottom line. Um, so it, I would say when you look at 2021 versus 2020, obviously 2021 was a much more normal weather year. Um, so that that would be more of a, a normal that I would think of on a on a going forward basis. That's helpful. Thank you. And. Um... Uh, in terms of different customer behavior, again, I know it's an art, not a science, uh, but maybe just as a follow-up, and, you know, are your teams putting thought towards what's the new normal and how much of that shift in customer behavior might be not permanent but, but systemic and, and continue versus um, what might revert back to um, historical patterns potentially going forward? Sure. So in, in Arizona, we're actually seeing it kind of revert back to normal, back to the you know pre-2020 timeframe when you look at it from a, 
um, use per customer uh, perspective as well as you know the more normal um, you know for the most part residential and commercial load shapes because in Arizona I think uh, a lot of folks did return to to work in 2021 um, businesses opened up quite a bit more obviously than in 2020 so we have sort we have seen in 2021 probably what I would call pretty darn close to the to the new normal from a from a load perspective and, and from a customer um, usage and demand profile perspective. Not to say that doesn't change on a going forward basis. You know, when you look at um, you know some of the other you know new technologies, DSM, energy efficiency, et cetera, that can be a, a deployed a, across our uh, utilities. Um, but for the most part, we're we're kind of back to what the pre 2020 or pre pandemic behavior. That's helpful. Thank you. And and recognizing that Q1 is only half finished at this point, um, and a lot can happen still in the quarter. I'm wondering if, if anyone on the team would be able to provide a sense of um, what the weather and Belize water levels have been so far that we've been seeing in Q1 and, and even any sort of natural gas storage, if, if I may be so bold. Yeah, I mean, it, it is just tracking rainfall in, in Belize and, you know, it's, it's, it's better than Q4. Um, you know, that's, a, we, we have, we are starting to see, you know, production tick, tick back up, but it's hard to say where we'll end up at, uh, for the quarter. Um, it is, uh, a, a, frankly, a pretty variable, you know, based on that rainfall in Belize. Um, that production is obviously directly correlated with that. Um, Q4 was a, was a very, very low quarter for us when you compare it, uh, 21 to 20. Um, so yeah, we, we do see it coming back somewhat. Thank you. I'll jump back in the queue. Thank you so much. Your next question is from Maurice Toy with RBC Capital Markets. Thank you and good morning. Um, my first question is on the MISO LRTP. Dave, you mentioned in your prepared remarks that you see supportive policy um, from, from pretty much the federal and state levels. As you approach the announcement of the first tranche of projects uh, in Q2, how should we view your market share, if I could call it that way? And how does this market share uh, view change following the Michigan um, decision in December? Yeah, so I, I don't really have it broken down by uh, jurisdiction, and, and maybe uh, Linda could provide a little color on this. But we have uh, talked in the past about just the you know our overall footprint um, in the MISO region, and that's uh, 23-ish percent, 22, 23 percent of the MISO footprint. That's our assets. Um, and we also kind of use, uh, and I, I don't know how indicative it is, uh, and probably not that indicative for, uh, you know, on a forward-looking basis, because the MISO trans, the, these new long-range transmission projects, you know, we, we don't know exactly where they're going to land, where they're going to come in in the tranches, um, and and frankly, you know, the, uh, this isn't a great indication. Obviously, looking backwards, but when we did the MVP projects, boy, well, I guess almost a decade ago. Um, we did get about the, about that same level, 22, 23% of the MVP projects came our way at, at ITC. Um, so it, it's hard to you know necessarily project any of that on a going forward basis, um, especially when you can just wait a few months and we'll, we'll you know hopefully be able to see and have a really good view on it. Um, and then once we see that tranche, um, we see you know the where our rofers land related to those projects. Uh, we'll get a really good view of, of what we think from from a projects, which projects are ours on a going forward basis, and then start the fun part, which is figuring out how to plan and, and build them. Um, Linda, do you, do you have any color to add on that? 
Nope, Dave, I think um, you captured it all. Nothing additive for me. Okay. Got it. And, and maybe a second question is on um, Arizona. Um, Justin, I may have misheard. Apologies if I did. Um, but I think you mentioned that uh, Fortis is evaluating the timing of the next rate case filing in uh, for TEP. As the current rates were approved just over a year ago, what are the changes to your business that you'd be highlighting to the ACC to justify new rates? And as a follow-up, how do you see the ACC's recent regulatory decisions relating to peers in the state uh, being factored into your, your, your view about this rate application? Maurice, before I throw it to David, because I'm sure David will talk about uh, the Arizona uh, environment there, but with respect to the rate case, it's not uncommon for TEP to be thinking about a rate case. The last rate case was filed with um, the year-end December 31st, 2018. Um, so it's been several years since we've last set rates. So we've invested, as you know, we keep investing in Arizona. Um, so we do have what I would say suggests that we would highlight to the regulator that we're continuing to invest and we need to um, revisit what we've invested over the last couple of years and get that into rates. Um, TP has done a great job, right? It's done a, it's keep moving forward with its clean energy plans. It's, it's managing its costs. It's, it's doing the right things. So this is just very typical for a utility to file a rate case every couple of years. And so nothing out of the ordinary from TEP's perspective. I'll let David speak to, to what's happening with the peers there. Yeah, I'd I, I just add it, you're, you're right on, um, Jocelyn, because it really is, a, you know, three years is a, is a, is a lot of um, lag for a, for a utility um, like ours in, in Arizona. And we have, you know, obviously not just invested in the past three years, but are looking to invest um, quite a bit on a, on a going forward basis uh, to, you know, go down the path of, of our uh, clean energy transition in Arizona. So we want to make sure that we're, you know, getting in front of our regulators, uh, telling that story, looking for, you know, mechanisms that we need to make sure that we get uh, adequate and timely cost recovery related to those investments as we go forward. Um, and then, you know, the, the regulatory um, environment in Arizona, I know this, this has been a, a, a bit of a hot topic uh, for the past few months, but you know, I, I think, you know, one, one it, it, a, a lot of that, the conversation and, and the results uh, in, in uh, a, a, another company's rate case in Arizona don't necessarily reflect on, you know, um, expectations, don't reflect at all expectations on, a, on an outcome uh, for us. Um, I think those are very utility specific. We've got a different utility, a different relationship with the commission, different resource plan. All of that stuff is different. So, um, you know, from from my perspective, uh, there's there's not a there's definitely not a, a, a read through um, to TEP from that. And, and frankly, there's been some very um, good and, and positive, very recent positive outcomes in in the Arizona regulatory environment um, just this week. The Arizona Corporation Commission acknowledged the uh, integrated resource plans that we filed for Tucson Electric Power and our smaller um, electric utility, UNS Electric, which supports that 2020 um, integrated resource plan. That supports our 80% greenhouse gas reduction at TEP that, of course, supports the 75% greenhouse gas reduction that we have Fortis-wide. So those are all, you know, good signals that, you know, the, that the commission is, um, is, is moving in the right direction, providing the right signals, and allowing us to do what we have to do, which is plan, 
um, our system, its needs for our customers, for the reliability and affordability uh, through an integrated resource planning process. And they're actually spending, you know, a good amount of time to get those integrated resource plan rules right so that we can look at a broad array of, you know, different opportunities from, you know, a least cost portfolio to the most aggressive renewable portfolio and make sure that we pick the one that our stakeholders and our customers and our regulators all agree on. That's what we did in 2020. So it's nothing new for us. Um, we're looking forward to getting that next integrated resource plan out, which actually is now not due until um, August of uh, next year. So a lot of work to be done between now and then. Great. And just a, just a quick follow-up. Um, could, could you help us um, focus a little bit more on timing of this filing? Are we talking about the next few months? Or by the end of this year, um, roughly, that'd be great. Yeah, we're, it's 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 really hard to put a pin in it at this point, but you know we're we're looking at it. You know, there's you know the, one of these things that you know you always evaluate is you know capital uh, plan timing and when's the right um, you know test year to pick, and so we're 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 still working through through all of those um, bits and pieces. Thank you. You're welcome. Our next question is from Rob Hope with Scotia Bank. Uh, morning, everyone. Uh, just a follow-up question on the uh, Midwest Transmission Project. I assume that there's not a ton of capital in your existing capital plan uh, related to the next tranche uh, that will be coming out. But when you take a look at just kind of the, the interconnection schedules, the project timing, when do you think you could start to see capital being layered into the capital plan on a more meaningful basis? Is this more of a, you know, 2024, 2025, you know, start to put steel on the ground? Yeah, Rob, thanks for that question. Uh, just to clarify, yeah, there there is no uh, money in our ca existing capital plan related to those those MISO projects. We're, we don't put something on on top of, uh, you know, our, our current existing plan um, in there. So it, it, the, 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 the question around timing is, is a good one. Uh, because it's really hard to tell. There, there's, you know, who knows which which projects are going to come out first in this first tranche. There might be some that are upgrades. There might be some, you know, that are, you know, maybe uh, a little bit easier, like uh, the transmission interconnection. That's a different process that FERC is going through, but that can fall in the next, uh, you know, several years because those are a little bit easier to do than some of the long-term transmission projects that are obviously going to be a big chunk of uh, this tranche and the next tranches. So I would say the majority of that uh, uh, expenditure is going to be, you know, late in this five-year plan to, you know, mostly I would say past the 26, uh, 2026 timeframe that's in our five-year plan. So with a little luck, we get the easy ones, you know, on the, on the front end here, and we can lay that in to, to boost up the current capital plan. But I would say the biggest uh, impact is going to be on the later years of the five-year plan and the extension uh, from year six on. All right, that's helpful. And then just pivoting over to another large transmission project, Lake Erie Connector. You know, looks like it's getting through some of the gates here in Ontario. Um, you know, where are you in discussions with the government? Have kind of the key terms been, you know, broadly uh, discovered, or um, you know, can you maybe just give us an update on the process there? Yeah, it's uh, broad terms, term sheets, uh, you know, the principles have been laid out. It's, it's now getting to the details and finalizing um, all of those pieces. So, there, you know, that, that was part of the update that, uh, that the ISO gave the government in December. They came back and said this all, 
you know, looks reasonable now, you know, finish the negotiations and, you know, work towards that TSA and bring us back another update, you know, in, in the end of March. And so these are all, you know, positive step-by-step movements that we're making on getting to a final agreement. And then, of course, you know, once we get to that final agreement, we get it, you know, uh, we agree with the ISO. The ISO brings it to the Ontario government. Everybody signs it. Um, and then we start the process or continue the process of, you know, designing, getting the EPC contractor um, and, and, and start construction. So um, it, it's, it's feeling obviously the, the, the best we've ever felt on this project and just a, just a couple steps, a couple signatures away um, from really getting this thing moving, which is a real testament to, you know, the, the time that our team at ITC has put in on this project to uh, to make it a go. This one's been talked about for a while, and we know it's a you know it's it's difficult. It's a well, when it's a it's a cross border project. It's got two um, ISOs on each end that you got to connect between PJM and the Ontario ISO. Um, lots of details, um, but uh, you know the, the harder the projects are, the more fun they are when you when you actually get to put them into service. And you know we're looking looking forward to getting those last couple steps done um, as quickly as we can. I appreciate the color. Thank you. Yep. Your next question is from Mark Jarvie with CIBC Capital Markets. Thanks. Good morning, everyone. A um, couple questions on Alberta. Um, one would be around the potential move to a formula. If you guys could comment on that in terms of what you'd want to see or your openness to that. And then second on on the cost of service rebasing, just expectations in terms of what the parameters are in terms of maybe like ability to keep earnings flat to up because I remember last time around sometimes we saw flat or, or down earnings um, after that rebasing. So maybe some, some color on both those items. Sure, I'll I'll, uh, I'll talk about the first one and then turn the uh, cost of service rebasing over to Janine to get some, you know, uh, direct insight. Janine uh, Sullivan, who's the CEO of, of Fortis Alberta, um, on the potential formula. This is one of those things where um, it, it all depends, right? It all depends on how the formula is set, whether it takes in to account the right uh, risks and and uh, you know that are specific to your utility. Um, if it's flexible enough to adapt to the changing, you know, energy environment that we're all going to see over the next, uh, you know, few years, and obviously, and extending further than that. So we, you know, we're going to we're going to work hard. If it is a, you know, formula uh, type rate, we want to make sure that it that it works for us. Um, it's it's like any regulatory mechanism. It all depends on the details in the end. So I, I think we could be supportive of of either either way, as long as. Um, you know, it provided the right, um, you know, the right uh, ability for us to get uh, the, the return on the investments that we make and for the growth opportunities that we see and the participation, frankly, that we want to have um, in that clean energy transition in Alberta. Um, Janine, I'll turn it over to you to talk about the cost of service rebasing. Sure. So the cost of service rebasing is ongoing. We are in the midst of it. Um, it is an important opportunity for Fortis Alberta in terms of rebasing our revenues and costs after almost a decade of uh, PBR-based regulation. So we are optimistic that the process will provide visibility of the current costs that Fortis Alberta is incurring and what we foresee happening into the future. And as David reckoned, uh, indicated some of the, the newer projects that need to be addressed as part of a clean energy future and having those uh, addressed as part of the revenue requirement, which would then provide a strong starting point for going into a third term of, uh, of PBR. And, of course, that will be determined 
over the next 12 months as to what that third term will look like in terms of specific mechanisms. Um, with respect to cost of capital, there is a desire to become prospective or more prospective at least in Alberta around such matters. And so it's very early days with respect to setting cost of capital for 2024 with a formula. So the focus right now is really on determining uh, what should happen in 2023. There is a early indications that it likely uh, holds the current parameters, just given that desire for prospectivity and a difficulty in terms of re- readdressing it in the short term for, for anything new for 2023, but then really setting the foundation for uh, more deliberate uh, conversation around what it should look like in 2024 and beyond and the possibility of a formula, but still very, very early days. And just coming back to the rebasing, when you look at sort of where you are and what your stance is now in terms of your submissions, is, is the thought that your sort of achievable ROE can be held flat through that process? Uh, we are optimistic that this rebasing uh, will provide a uh, solid starting point for 2023 in terms of a, a full realignment of our revenues and our costs. I mean, there are some concerns in the province around affordability. And that dynamic between, you know, investing for the future and clean energy programs and how we do so in a thoughtful and affordable way uh, is certainly uh, for us to demonstrate. But uh, we believe we have a very, a very good plan going forward that does both. And, and I think that uh, we'll, uh, we'll be in a good position starting in 2023. Okay. And, Jocelyn, a question for you, just in terms of, of, the, of the drip and, and just updated thoughts on the discount and, and sort of the usage of the drip now or – we have a pivot back to the ATM where you have a bit more control on, on sort of when shares are issued. So updated thoughts on that. Yeah, so, um, Mark, we, we actually put the drip in a couple of years. We turned it off, and then we put the discount back on. And it's a pretty effective way of, uh, of getting the equity we need. And so it does provide us with some flexibility. The uptake is back up to over 35% again, so a pretty healthy participation. Um, that we evaluate it every year. Right now it's working for us. It's given us the equity that we need. We don't need any discrete equity. Um, the ATM program, in my opinion, worked as well. It's just a different way of, of getting it. But I think the, the drip is an easy, effective, cost-effective way of getting the equity that we need because we understand our growth profile. Should, you know, with all the opportunities that David's talking about, you know, change our capital program in any meaningful way, we'll, we'll revisit um, you know, funding on every level. So, um, but for right now, the drip is working for us. Okay, thanks. Your next question is from David Quisada with Raymond James. Uh, thanks. Morning, everyone. Um, my first question here, just on uh, out in BC, uh, relates to uh, the Tilbury site and any uh, or the planned expansions there as well. Just curious how you're thinking today about um, the infrastructure in that region and, and the floods that we saw over the past year. I understand that the, the regulator is undergoing some kind of a review process. Just any color you can provide there. Yeah, I, I'm, I'll turn it over to Roger here to get uh, all, the, all the details, um, on, particularly around the, the tank that we're proposing, because I think that's a, a real important project for um, the BCUC to consider. Uh, you know, for, from a resiliency perspective, as we have now seen in the past uh, several years, some some hiccups, I'll call them, on uh, Enbridge's system. Um, you know, one back in I guess it was 20 uh, winter 2018, and then of course uh, 
you know, the one recently with the flood, um, it, it, it makes us, you know, it makes it more important for us to look for um, resiliency uh, projects down in the lower mainland in the Vancouver area. And one of those projects, as, as you know, is the is the uh, big uh, new LNG tank that we have, a big 3BCF tank that we have proposed. Um, that That's going to be really important to providing that resiliency and that backup. Um, I'll turn it to Roger to, to tell you where we're at from the application perspective with the BCUC and the, and the EA process. Uh, thanks, David. Uh, morning, David. Uh, so yeah, on the uh, Tilbury tank, there's two processes underway. One is with the BCUC, we're mid-process on that CPCN, uh, answering information requests from interveners. That process will continue for the better part of the year before we get to um, uh, conclusion. Uh, in addition, because of the size of the tank, we have to file and obtain an environmental assessment certificate from both BC and Canada. We're on track with that process. We filed the detailed project description uh, last year. We received a readiness decision and expect to go to public comment uh, Q1 of this year. Uh, the Impact Assessment Agency of Canada did uh, agree to write a substitution so the BCEAO will lead the process and that will continue for the better part of 2022 before we figure out what the next steps are in that environmental assessment. Okay, great. Uh, thank you for that. And, and Roger, maybe, uh, maybe a follow-up for you. Uh, feels as though uh, with news headlines lately, there's been some increased momentum uh, for the use of RNG in marine bunkering, uh, and I know you guys have made really good progress on, on procurement of RNG uh, in the BC, uh, at Fortis BC. Just curious if you think you could ultimately, uh, depending on, um, you know, the, the extent of RNG for usage uh, in the marine end market, could you potentially get to more than a 15% mix uh, in BC on the RNG side? Yeah, I think uh, there are two uh, distinct uh, questions there. Um, the marine market, I think RNG eventually will, will end up there. We did have that uh, pilot project with C-SPAN where we ran um, uh, low carbon or zero carbon uh, using RNG for their uh, barge ferries. I think there was a similar pilot uh, down in Florida last year as well. So I think uh, the marine market is looking at LNG and if it can come from uh, renewable uh, gases, all the better. It's already got a significant advantage over uh, marine fuels like diesel. So I think that'll be an added benefit. So we see that as an additive support for increasing LNG in the marine market. I think generally our RNG uh, development, you know, we received approval from the BC government last year to go to 15% of our resource or gas supply coming from RNG, including hydrogen. Uh, we just recently signed uh, eight petajoule deal, still needs regulatory approval, but we expect to get that this year. We're at about 18 petajoules, which is um, uh, just over halfway to our 2030 target of 15%. So we believe we can go beyond that um, uh, for sure over time, and that doesn't include the adoption of hydrogen. So we see a uh, a growing amount of renewable gases uh, in our system going forward. Excellent. I really appreciate the call, Roger. I'll, uh, that's it for me. Your next question is from Matthew Weeks with IA Capital Markets. 
Good morning. Thanks for taking my questions. I think they've mostly been answered at this point, but I think I'll just ask on the macro and, and uh, rate cases. In terms of rate cases that are, are ongoing right now or uh, that you're planning on, on doing in the near future, uh, how do you expect uh, the outlook for rising interest rates to, to impact uh, those proceedings? And uh, are you pursuing any, any uh, creative measures to maybe address the rising rates over over the couple of years or anything like that? Yeah, Matthew, uh, a great question because the, the, the rising rates can uh, can help or hurt, um, you know, obviously from an inflation perspective um, and, and cost of doing business, um, that's going to put some upward pressure on, you know, the cost that we incur. And depending on uh, which jurisdiction we're talking about across our footprint, um, some of those have very direct um, pass-through mechanisms to customers like ITC and and and, and now um, TEP's transmission um, down in Arizona has that same pass-through mechanism. Um, so there isn't really an impact because it's uh, it's on a forward basis and then and then trued up as well. Uh, other jurisdictions like Alberta and BC have inflation in part of their calculations for um, cost escalation. Um, and then the, the one bigger jurisdiction that doesn't have it is TEP's non-FERC assets or their retail rates, which um, would be subject to some regulatory lag uh, between, you know, obviously when you see that inflation and when you actually get those costs and that inflation um, reflected in rates. So um, it's, a, it's a bit of a, a, a mishmash across the utility, but nothing, no, no huge impact from a company perspective. Now, of course, this all has impacts to our customers. Um, raising their costs, uh, you know, across the board, whether it's, you know, things in, you know, from normal inflation and in products and services to, you know, natural gas prices, et cetera. Um, so we, we are very um, laser focused on making sure that we are doing everything we can from a, from a cost perspective throughout the rest of the um, utility to reduce the impact um, on our customers. Now, on the, on the other side of things, uh, ROEs are obviously track um, that rising um, rate. And uh, it's, you know, it's obviously not a direct correlation. Sometimes it lags down, sometimes it lags up. Um, but gen the, the general, um, you know, hypothesis here is in a rising rate environment, ROEs rise. And so we would expect to see that over time um, increase the, the return that we would get on, on our equity. And, of course, that's why, you know, these uh, proceedings on ge uh, generic cost of capital, et cetera, um, and rate cases are important to get that reset and reflected. Okay, thank you. Appreciate the answer on that. Uh, that's everything for me. I'll turn it back. All right, thanks, Matthew. Your next question is from Patrick Kinney with National Bank. Yeah, good morning. Uh, just to follow up on your 100% RNG initiative in BC, and I was just curious if you see any opportunities to implement this new build renewable energy source offering across some of your electric utility platforms, and you know how that might be able to accelerate your overall 75% reduction target by 2035. Yeah, first off, what a great program that uh, Fortis BC that team came up with. Uh, you know, it's it. It's making it's it's getting everyone to recognize the role that natural gas companies and their infrastructure can play in, in delivering a cleaner energy future. You know, we we talk about it a lot on how you can, you know, uh, green up green up electrons on the transmission and distribution side, but we need to be talking more about how you can green up 
um, and clean up the, the molecules that you send through your pipe, whether it's through renewable natural gas, syngas, hydrogen, whatever it is, that's, that, that shows that we're part of that solution. So that, that's, a, that's a great solution for, um, for uh, Fortis BC. It could be in our other, we have small, small gas companies in, in Arizona and, and New York that could also, you know, look at, look at uh, programs like that. And, you know, utilities like um, Arizona, where we have a vertically integrated utility, we do offer um, green power programs for our customers already. Um, so those things can, and of course, you got to be looking at more and more uh, opportunities to do that, um, to create to create the, the, the customer's option um, to, you know, go a little bit faster than perhaps we are going from a, from a portfolio-wide perspective. Of course, our, our goal is to, if, you, if, we, if, we, if, we, if we execute on our integrated resource plan in Arizona, um, our customers, you know, by in 2035, 70%, actually by right around 2032, about 70% of the energy that we provide will be renewable energy. So, you know, you, people forget how much we're really doing behind the scenes and increasing that volume. Um, but still, there's customers who, who will want to have, like m me, myself, at my uh, home in Arizona, uh, have 100% renewable energy um, tariff where um, my, my energy comes 100% uh, from, from renewables, and we have that, obviously, for, for customers across the, the board in, in Arizona. Excellent. Thanks for that. And then maybe just uh, a high-level question, David, on the portfolio in general in light of the rising rate environment and, you know, the potential here to add some additional larger-scale growth within your your larger core utilities. I know you've always seen the benefits of diversification, but is, is now the time to weigh the option of perhaps divesting of, you know, one or two of your smaller utilities simply to, you know, beef up liquidity ahead of, um, some of these larger scale projects. Yeah, not not really a priority for us. I mean, I I think the the utilities that we have, um, you know, we, we we don't we're not blind to you know market um, you know, drivers and you know value and you know opportunities etc. But you know, I I I think that we run every single one of our utilities within our model uh, the best they they can be run. Um, and we will continue to improve each each one of those utilities on a going forward basis, and you know improve the the growth of each. Um, so I, I don't I, someone would have to see some weird outsized value because um, to create value in one of our subsidiaries um, or one of our you know pieces of our portfolio uh, above and beyond what we can. Um, you know, I, I think that's a it's a high hurdle, but you know, we, we we'll, we'll pay attention, but definitely not something that we're looking at on the in the near term. All right, that's great. Thank you very much. Thanks, Patrick. And again, if you would like to ask a question, please press star then the number one on your telephone keypad. Your next question is from Darius Lozny with Bank of America. Hi. Good morning, and thank you for taking my question. Um, just wanted to uh, hopefully get a quick update on the Cardinal Hickory Creek project. I, I realize it's not a uh, significant part of your long-term CapEx plan, but th there's, there have been some hurdles there, and I was just curious if you could provide an update and potential time frame for next steps. And the part B of that question would be, given the, the experience of, that, of bringing that project along thus far, does that inform your approach at all to potentially further down the line additional projects in in the MISO footprint? 
Yeah, thanks, Darius, for that question. That, that you, you get uh, full points for getting into the details because that's that's in the, that's in the details. And uh, I'm going to pass that. That's so far in the details. I'm going to pass it to obviously our expert on this, uh, Linda Apsey from ITC. Great, thanks, Dave, and thanks, Darius, for the question. Yeah, I think to keep in mind, I mean, no doubt, certainly there's multiple legal proceedings around Cardinal Hickory Creek, but I think just to kind of put it in perspective, you know, the litigation all revolves around essentially what is a mile and a half, uh, basically a 150-mile project. And uh, that litigation um, so far has not uh, ceased construction on the project. We continue to construct the project both in Iowa and in Wisconsin with our partners on the project. We're about a 45% owner of that project, and so it's a partnership project with both American Transmission Company and uh, Daryl and Power. So despite, I would say, some headlines, uh, complexity of sort of the, the litigation and multiple lawsuits, um, it really is a minimal portion of the project uh, that's in question, and we continue to uh, uh, pursue our construction activities and quite frankly, I, I think we feel pretty confident that uh, we'll continue to realize that project uh, given the need for the project. Uh, this is a project that was identified over 10 years ago as an MVP project in, in, through MISO, uh, and certainly the needs, the benefits uh, for customers just have continued to grow. So I think we feel pretty confident that uh, the project will, will, will be realized and uh, it, it has not stopped uh, our construction activities at all. And then, okay, I think in regards, yeah, I think they've sorry, because I know you, you you had the second question just in terms of does it um, alter how we think about the future, you know, LRTP projects? No, look, I mean, I think generally, I think just from a broad perspective, uh, certainly litigation, um, you know, environmental opposition to to energy projects in general is certainly uh, growing. Uh, but I think when we step back, when you look at the primary drivers, you know, of all of these LRTP or regional transmission projects, the primary driver is to interconnect and deliver green energy to customers. And uh, ultimately, when you, I think you layer on the additional benefits of any transmission project, economic, economic benefits, reliability benefits, uh, when you look at the analysis and study process that the RTO goes through uh, when they assess these projects, you know, there is no doubt, I mean, all of these projects have to pass uh, cost-benefit uh, calculations, um, and uh, there is, you know, an immense amount of detail around the benefits of, of any of these projects. So I think we feel pretty comfortable and confident um, that ultimately when you have a need-based project, uh, typically the projects prevail. Uh, but certainly, uh, depending on the location of a project, maybe the sensitivity of, of certain uh, geographies, um, you know, all of those things need to be considered um, and particularly considered in how we think about the timing um, of construction, approval, and um, obviously putting those projects into operation. But I don't think we uh, see this as uh, any type of um, sign of the future, um, you know, that's different than what we've been dealing with, I think, at ITC. Um, we have a, a great track record um, of siting transmission projects, and um, you know we're, we work very, very closely uh, with all of our local communities, our states, our landowners. Uh, we take all of those things into consideration on the front end, and so I think we feel pretty confident in our ability to 
continue to realize transmission projects that come out of the LRTP effort. Excellent. I, thank you very much. I appreciate the, uh, the detail um, in that response. If I could just ask one more quickly, this is pivoting over to uh, the Q4 adjusted drivers. I noticed uh, as part of the central Hudson three cent drag uh, related to non-recoverable costs, it referenced performance targets. Is there any way you could elaborate on that just in brief, what those targets were and, and perhaps was this isolated to Q4 or something you, uh, you see maybe um, that's potentially being ongoing? Yeah, let, let, let me send that over to uh, Charlie. He's got the, the color on that. Charlie Franny, who's the CEO of Central Hudson. Thanks, Dave. Um, so we have um, within um, all of our rate agreements performance metrics, which we need to meet. Um, and those performance metrics, if they aren't met, um, do result in um, um, penalties associated with missing those. And so the two... Um, targets that um, were related to reliability that we missed were frequency of outages and duration of outages, and those are all outages that are non-storm-related um, outages, um, so it's a, kind of on a day-to-day -day basis. I mean, those provisions have been in our, our rate cases for, for many years, and they are, you know, continue to be part of our rate structure going forward. Um, you know, I certainly believe that um, last year was an unusual year, and um, I wouldn't expect that we would exceed those targets going forward. Okay, great. Thank you very much. I'll pass it along here. Thanks, Darius. Thank you. As there are no further questions, I would like to turn the call back to Ms. Amimo. Thank you, April. We have nothing further at this time. Thank you, everyone, for participating in our fourth quarter and annual 2021 results conference call. Please contact Investor Relations should you need anything further. Thank you for your time and have a great day. Thank you for participating, ladies and gentlemen. This concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.